uses the prophet's lives to teach something. He uses something he tells them to do or not to do to teach a lesson. Their life almost becomes a parable of the message. I think that's very much the case here. So, 1 through 5 of chapter 32. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the twelfth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, at that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard, which was in the house of the king of Judah, because Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah will not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but he will surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. And he will take Zedekiah into Babylon, and he will be there until I visit him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Chaldeans, will you not succeed? Well, here's a message that comes to Jeremiah. We're not yet to see the message. We're still right here setting the context. But it came... In the tenth year of Zedekiah, how many years did Zedekiah reign? Eleven. Eleven. This is the tenth year of Zedekiah. How many kings did Judah have after Zedekiah? Zero. Zero. Zedekiah was the last one. So we're a year away from curtains for God's people here. They're going to be taken into captivity. And already what is Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, doing? He's besieging Jerusalem. Now, you understand the idea of besieging is the idea of uh, more or less surrounding a city's walls with your soldiers to where nothing gets out or comes in. And particularly what doesn't come in? Food. And therefore they... After a while, food prices go up, up, up as the stock begins to dwindle. Yeah, so it's really bad. Um, inside the city walls was only houses. Farmland was always outside the city wall because who wants to have to build a wall out of big farmland? And um, so this is an especially bad time for any major real estate purchases <laughs> because um, Babylon's in charge of the whole real estate. All you've got's just the little city inside the wall. Keep that in mind. And uh, where is uh, Jeremiah exactly? In the court of the king. And he's there because. And he's under arrest, so to speak. Yeah, he's, uh, he's kind of being kept in a stockade in the palace. Uh, what's his crime been? <laughs> well, that shouldn't be a crime, should it? shouldn't be, but if the guy in charge doesn't like what you're saying... It... Yes, and what was he saying? Yeah, I'm about to give the city into the king of Babylon, and you, Zedekiah, won't escape, and uh, you'll be taken to Babylon. If you try to fight against the Chaldeans, you will not succeed. Now, why is that message considered to be prison-worthy? 
Well, it, it, one of the problems is that it, if it's heard by the people, it'll be very demoralizing. The people might rebel against Zedekiah the king and open the door, the, the gates of the wall, and hold up their hands and say, We surrender! Instead of fighting and toughing it out like their king apparently wants. Absolutely. This is treasonous. You know, it is undermining the morale of the resistance. It's subversive. He's saying surrender. He's saying Babylon's going to win. You know, he's, he's saying that uh, the only hope is surrender. If you fight against the Chaldeans, you won't succeed. That bothered Zedekiah. And a lot of times people think they can avoid the effect of some unpleasant truth if they just destroy the messenger. So dumb. You know, it's like, well, you destroy the messenger, it still doesn't mean the message isn't true. You know, it's like trying to kill him the doctor because he says you've got cancer. Or putting him in prison because he says, you know, you've got some terrible disease. He didn't bring on the disease. He's just diagnosing it. Wasn't Jeremiah's fault that they were so wicked God was going to destroy him. He's just giving them the truth. So apparently Zedekiah was oblivious to the fact that, that Jeremiah said this because it was true. Not because he was treasonous. So he's got Jeremiah shut up in this uh, stockade because he's been basically saying the only hope is to surrender. Comments and questions. Just some. If I, I've got, if I've got the right king, it's it's fairly ironic that uh, Jeremiah is prophesying that the king Zedekiah will see the king of Babylon <laughs> face to face and <laughs> eye to eye, given that Zedekiah lost his eyes. Yes, that's true. Yes, his, that'd be about the last thing he'd see, <laughs> outside of his own children being massacred before him. Is this the first? Well, how about chapter 20, verse 2? He was putting stocks there. Oh, yeah. Remember, this is not chronological order stuff either, so it's just a matter of how Jeremiah is organized, no, not how it is chronological. All right, how about 6 to 15? Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, is coming to you, saying, Buy for yourself my field, which is at Anathoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field, please, that is at Anathoth, which is at the land of Benjamin, for you have the right of possession, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. I bought the field which was at Anathoth from Hanamel, my uncle's son, and I weighed out the silver for him, seventeen shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, and called in witnesses, and weighed out the silver on the scales. 
Now I took the deeds of purchase, both the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, and the open copy, and I gave them the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the sight of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the sight of my wit of the witness who signed the deed of purchase before all the Jews who were sitting in the court of the guard. And I commanded Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, this sealed, sealed deed of purchase, and this open deed, and put them in the earthenware jar, and th that they may last a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land. 316? Yeah, you know, you're right. Okay. So, Jeremiah's uncle comes with a what proposal? Buy my field, please. Yeah, I got, uh, I got a deal for you here, Jeremiah. Got this prime piece of real estate. Uh, it's going fast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jeremiah's the kind of guy I'd like to offer some swampland in Florida to, you know? I mean, he buys this thing. It's behind enemy lines. It's already been captured. The bottom would have surely fallen out of the real estate market by this time. You know, who's going to want to invest in property? But uh, God tells Jeremiah, I want you to buy that field. Wow. God gives his prophets some orders every once in a while that just don't make sense. I mean, you know, you can't even get to the field. You know, <laughs> why buy the field? And and it's amazing the the legal description of this purchase. This is probably the most detailed description of a property purchase in the Bible. I mean, pretty detailed for any kind of historical records we've got. I mean, you know, he, he weighs out the silver, 17 shekels of silver. He signs and seals the deed, calls witnesses. They get the silver weighed out of the scales. You know, he takes the deeds of purchase. There are two. One of them is a sealed copy. And... The other one is the open copy. Now that was what they would do. They had a, a uh, proper procedure that they would follow. So you get two deeds. One of them would be an open deed. Everybody could look at it. You could see what the terms were. You could see what, what property, description of the property, whatever. One of them was a sealed deed. And that could only be opened in court if necessary. To try to prove that the open copy hadn't been tampered with or whatever. So that they do that. In fact, he has Baruch then put the sealed copy in a clay pot, clay jar. Why? To preserve it. To preserve it. And uh, that's interesting because uh, you remember, I don't know how much you know about this, but uh, like the Dead Sea Scrolls in Qumran, they were actually, from what I understand, um, copies of ancient documents from like over 2,000 years ago that had been preserved in clay pots in this dry cave. So, you know, it's possible to keep for millennia in some situations documents that are stored in a clay pot. 
So you keep it because it's going to be needed later on. Now, you know, wow, this is a lot of trouble to go to to buy some property that's worthless. You know, there's no reason to do that except for what God says in verse 15. Houses and fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land. This is God having Jeremiah put his mouth where his prophecy was. Putting his money, rather, where his prophecy was. (laughs) Money where your mouth is. Put your money where your prophecy is. He said, everything's going to be brought back. Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt, blah, blah, blah. And he invests in this field as an indication he really believed that. Now, I don't know how much he really believed it, but God told him to do it, so he does it. And God believes in it. Um... So when, from a human standpoint, everything is hopeless, by the purpose of God, you know, there are, there are possibilities that men's dreams would never lead to. They, there's going to be a reason why Jeremiah's heirs are going to want that deed. <laughs> that property is going to be valuable again. I thought you said he was in stock, so how did he violate Well... Some people could come to him and he had Baruch, his secretary, serving as his agent to do everything that needed to be done outside of the prison. Good question. Looking at looking at the earthenware jar and thinking about how long things could be preserved that way. And presumably they knew that it worked really well for however long they could do that. It just... We know that it was 70 years before they came back, but in a sense this looks, it's almost like there's not a guarantee that it's going to be only 70 years, that this promise is going to be fulfilled, yes, but we don't have a definite timeline, and that's just kind of weird and neat all at the same time. You just got to trust. God says there's blessing in the future, and so we'll believe it. This is very much, obviously, dealing with the physical land in Israel. I think even at that, when we get to the fulfillment later on at the end of chapter 32, this is still almost a shadow of the greater blessings through Christ. This is kind of, you know, you see in this physical sense something deeper and more spiritual that God was going to do for his people. Other thoughts or comments? Does any descendant of Jeremiah end up coming back to this land? Or do we know? Do I know that? I'm not sure that I do. Okay. Um, Well... (laughs) This is easier for us to understand after we read the rest of Jeremiah 32 than it was for Jeremiah to understand before he'd heard the rest of the Lord's explanation. He's kind of wondering why he's doing this. 16 to 25. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch the son of Neriah, then I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you who shows loving kindness to thousands, but repays the iniquity of fathers into the bosom of their children after them, O great and mighty God. The Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. 
who has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and even to this day, both in Israel and among mankind. And you have made a name for yourself as of this day. You brought your people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders, and with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror, and gave them this land which you swore to their forefathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore you have made all this calamity come upon them. Behold, the siege ramps have reached the city to take it, and the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it, against it because of the sword, the famine, and the pestilence. And what you have spoken has come to pass, and behold, you see it. You have said to me, O Lord God, buy for yourself the field with money and call in witnesses, although the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. So, Jeremiah prays to God and says, now just why did I buy that field? <laughs> you know, uh, you made the heavens and the earth. Nothing's too difficult for you. I mean, I know you are an amazing God. And you do incredible things. You do incredible stuff in your creation. Verses 18 and 19, you do incredible stuff like in your judgments as you repay people. You're a great God. You did wonderful stuff in 20 to 22 and bringing us out of Egypt and giving us this land that you had promised. You do wonderful things in chastening in verse 23. And now the Babylonians are besieging the city and you have uh, given the city into the hand of the Chaldeans. And then you said, go buy that field. <laughs> you know, I mean, Jeremiah, Jeremiah did it, but it seems preposterous. It'd be like, what, about in their, what person in their right mind would have signed a long-term lease for one of the cabins on the Titanic if he knew what was going to happen to the Titanic? It's not going to be very useful. There's going to be a lot of competition for those leases after the ship is sunk. He knows the Babylonians are going to conquer the, the land. That's what's going to happen. He knows. So I bought that field for what? 17 perfectly good shekels of silver. You know, I think that's what it was. Uh, and 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 doesn't make sense. God, I, I know you're great. I trust you. I believe you can do anything. Nothing's too difficult for you. And you're great in this and this and this and this and this. But I still don't understand why you told me to do that. Pretty honest on Jeremiah's part. Comments and questions. Do you know how much a field usually was bought for? Like, is that average or expensive or cheap? Well, of course, we don't know anything about the field, but it sounds cheap. What was it that uh, Abraham paid for that field and cave? Was it like 400 yeah, because I suspect that was a little pricey, uh, but yeah, I, that seems cheap. But you think it would have been at this point? <laughs> Who's going to buy it for nothing? Yeah. When you when he starts out this prayer, it looks like he like really trusts him, and like it seems like he understands until the end of the prayer. Well, he does trust him. That's why he's praying. 
but he doesn't understand why he's like doing this. Like it sounds this. like he's saying, "I know you're great and stuff, but why are you doing this?" Yeah, that's what he's saying. <laughs> you got it. It's like, so God, I know you've done all these great things and everything, but um, did you notice the Babylonians are outside the gate? Did you, yeah, I mean, you I don't that, think right? he is. I don't know. I wouldn't say he's even doubting God, but he doesn't understand why he's doing this. I mean, can we say I really trust you, God? But that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, to me, I don't think he's trying to say God. I just think you messed up on this one. But I don't think he understands it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So. He was praying for understanding. Exactly. <clears throat> Although it almost looks like he didn't have a chance to actually formulate the question. I mean, as he sort of does, you've said to me, buy this, although the city is in the hand of the Chaldeans. And it's almost like the next thing he's going to say, so would you explain that? And he doesn't even have a chance to say that before God comes back and says, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Well, I'm guessing Abraham probably didn't understand why he had to kill his son. I'm guessing he didn't either. <laughs> yeah, that's where, like, that's why, I, I mean, otherwise our trust wouldn't be tested if we always knew and why things would happen. But is it is it wrong to ask God why? No. Are we going to not do it because we don't know why? Jeremiah does it. He does, and then he says, why did I do it? <laughs> Which is good. We ought to do the things that we don't understand, but it's not wrong for us to ask why. Well, ready for the Lord's answer? That's the rest of the chapter, 26 to 44. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will take it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against the city will enter and set this city on fire and burn it, and the houses where people have offered incense to Baal on their roofs and poured out drink offerings to the other gods to provoke me to anger. Indeed, the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah have been doing only evil in my sight from their youth. For the sons of Israel have been provoking me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. Indeed, this city has been made to me a provocation of my anger and my wrath from the day that they have built it, even to this day, so that it should be removed from before my face. Because of all the evil of the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their leaders, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned their back to me and not their face. Though I taught them, teaching again and again, they would not listen and receive instruction. But they put their detestable things in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. They built on the high places to, of Baal that are in the valley of Ben-Hemon to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I had not commanded them, nor had it entered my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, concerning this city, which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all the lands to which I had driven them in my anger, in my wrath, and in my great indignation. Now bring them back to this place, and make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me always for their own good, and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them, to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts, so that they will not turn away from me. I will rejoice over them to do them good and will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. 
For thus says the Lord, Just as I brought all this great disaster on this people, so I am going to bring on them all the good that I am promising them. Fields will be bought in this land of which you say. It is a desolation, without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Men will buy fields for money, sign and seal deeds, and call on witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the environs of Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the lowland, and in the cities of the Negev, for I will restore their fortunes to place the Lord. So God says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. 27. Is anything too difficult for me? Uh, I think I hear an echo. <laughs> Jeremiah said it. Jeremiah, do you really believe it? You know, Jeremiah, is anything too difficult for me? Now, what's God going to do? He is going to give the city into the hands of the Chaldeans. Jeremiah is right about that. The Chaldeans are going to burn it. Appropriate punishment since the people have been burning incense to the bales on their roofs. God's going to burn their roofs and every other part of their house too. And uh, they've been doing evil, provoking God to anger, and they have been adequately warned. God's been sending the prophets to them for I don't know how long now, warning them, warning them, warning them. They won't listen, so God will destroy them. They they would just continue to, verse 34, put detestable things in the house called by my name to defile it. And you think about, again, the betrayal idea. You got this wife, not only she's having affairs, she takes pictures of these guys and she plasters your house with them. You know, she takes all their stuff and she decorates with them and whatever. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's hard to imagine what you'd feel like as a man if your wife betrays you. But if she betrays you and she just celebrates it and flaunts it in your face, that's what they were doing, you know? Put their detestable things in the house, which is called by my name to defile it. They built the high place of the Baal, this is 35, that are in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I had not commanded them. And it had never even crossed my mind. You know, they're doing things I never even thought about. Now, not literally, but it's like, you know, this is the last thing I would have ever told them to do, and that's what they're doing. I will destroy Jerusalem. That part Jeremiah had right, no doubt about it. But that's not the end of the story. Because he's going to then, verse 37, gather them out of the lands and bring them back and make them dwell in safety. They're going to be his people. I'm going to be their God. I will give them one heart and one way. That they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. One heart. One heart. They've been two-hearted people. You know, it's kind of this idea of a double-minded man. Literally, in J- James, when he talks about a double-minded man, it's a two-souled man. Well, they've had they've had a, two hearts. They've they've been serving God and serving Baal. And there's a lot of emphasis on the heart through Jeremiah. But he's going to give them one united heart and one way. You know, they're going to have one path that they're going to walk. The expression of their one heart. Isaiah 53, 6, they all turned aside to their own way, but they're going to come back to my one way and live the way I tell them to. And, uh, you know, I'll make an everlasting covenant with them and, and bless them. And God's going to enjoy blessing them. You, you love verse 41. I will rejoice over them to do them good. You know, God will love doing good for them. God God is so happy when he can bless us. He just, he just, just thrills him. 
you know, and will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. God's going to bless him with gusto. He, he's going to, he's, he's uh, uh, just enthusiastic about blessing them. He doesn't, you know, God doesn't bless his people with his jaw set and his teeth, teeth clenched and his nose clenched. I'm going to do this for you. No, he wants to. He loves to. It's a blessing to him when he gets to. And he's going to do it with all his mind. And uh, that, that's going to be a wonderful thing for the Lord when he gets to bless them. So he says, just like I brought the disaster, I'm going to bring the good. You know, as surely as I judged, that surely I will save. And therefore... You know, men will buy fields again and seal, sign and seal deeds and call in witnesses. And uh, that, that's what's going to happen. You know, what Jeremiah did, which seems so ridiculous at the time, is going to be done all over the country when they come back into the land and God blesses them again. So what Jeremiah did is almost a foreshadowing of what will happen. And that property he bought is going to have value again. Uh, so that's the point. Really, Jeremiah 32 is more or less a parable in action. It's a way of Jeremiah visually demonstrating what God is saying. There will be blessing again. I will bring them back again. They will love me again. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Comments and thoughts? when the actual remnant did return to Jerusalem, there was some fulfillment in this and the fact that it didn't appear to be the idol worship anymore. Good point. They seem to have been cured of that. But on the other hand, you go back Mm -hmm. even farther and predict them going into the land of Canaan and God said, it'll be all blessings and you'll be my people and I'll be your God. And that wasn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't, perfectly fulfilled, but now we have that same statement again about the future. And I guess in a sense, it's not perfectly fulfilled, not everyone, but for whatever that's worth. (laughs) Yeah, I think that, you know, all through this, there have been both threats and promises, and even when he brought them into the land, he said, if you're unfaithful, I'll kick you out. The one thing that may be a little bit more in Christ, a more ideal fulfillment of that, is because of the individual nature of the covenant. So, I mean, with the national nature of the covenant, you had some really wicked Israelites who didn't have God as their God in any sense, but there's nobody who at least hasn't had God as their God who is in the covenant now through Christ. Other questions and comments? Definitely encouraging things. We need balanced preaching. So we need this uh, positive stuff too. Jeremiah has been condemning them, but he's also saying there is hope for the future. God wants to bless. That's God's love. That's his passion. And what a blessing that is to us. Um, As we go forward in Jeremiah, there is one more chapter similar to this in chapter 33. 
And then we go through a long historical section, uh, and a little bit jumbled as far as the chronology, not necessarily all of the same time period, but really 34 to about 45 is mostly historical stuff. There's some prophecies of Jeremiah, but they're relatively short ones, from 34 to uh, 45. Uh, so, I, and I like those historical narrative sections, so I think that'll be good. I think on your website, the next time we do this is like the first weekend in May or something like that. So, you can keep that in your head and look on the website. But it's liveforit.us. When you do com and net and all that, it doesn't come up with safe. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mitch. No, I'm not. All right. So, but great to study together today. I've enjoyed that. It's probably a good break. And uh, you've listened very well. Uh, and, uh, I appreciate that. Encourage for that. So. Good for good for us to do these things. Uh, why don't we uh, why don't we have a prayer uh, together uh, before we close? Our Father, thank you so much for blessing us today with this wonderful opportunity to open your Word and to meditate on it and to talk about it together. We're just amazed by what you write. We are so thankful that you've opened your heart to us and that you've shared these wonderful words with us that are so uplifting. Sometimes they challenge us, sometimes they're hard to understand, but they're always a blessing as we keep working on them and trying to understand them. You've given us so much diversity and so much fullness in your word. We thank you that you've made it as, as big as it is so that we can just be fed so much. We're thankful that you've made it so deep that we can never stop learning more. We pray that you just give us more of our heart and passion to know you, to know your word, and we are so concerned that we start viewing people like Jesus did with compassion and taking the gospel to them. That we would be more diligent to speak about you and to forget about fearing rejection and just seek to glorify you. Uh, we are very thankful that we have these moments where we can be united with our brothers and sisters and we can study together. Pray that you'd help each one of us as we leave here. May we be built up in you and glorify you more and better in all ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you hit stop?